Father, we acknowledge you this morning as God, our great God. Father, we confess that many times we want to lift ourselves up and do things in our own strength. Father, we need to regularly just express from our hearts, you are God and you alone are God. And we love you, we trust you, we look to you. And Father, as we are aware of people who are facing hard things, we, we are drawn to look to you e- even more. We feel so helpless. And so, God, we pray for Marie Morrison. We ask you, in the name of Christ, to strengthen her. And we would pray that you would arrest the cancer in her body. Father, you've encouraged us to bring our requests. We pray, Lord, that you would take it away. Father, we yield to your perfect purposes and we recognize we live in a fallen world and so we will have troubles. But God, you've invited us and so we come to you with our request. We pray for Jonathan as he's alongside of her. We pray for the children. We pray for all of those extended family and friends who are around them, caring for them. So God, we pray, give strength where it's needed. We know you love to do that. And so we pray, pour it out. Father, we think of so many others who are dealing with hard things, physical injury or ailments. We pray for Mary LaBelle, Imelda Allen, Kimberly Kim, Bev Gillock, Chuck and Lynn Lehman, Jan Bain, Barb Hart, Steve Thrall, Brian Kamkowski, Seth Bales, Kelly Dixon, Melissa Metzelfeld, Christine Hanke, Olga Riley. God, there are others. You know them. We ask on their behalf, God, give them strength. Strengthen their bodies, we pray, but even more, we pray, strengthen their faith. Help them to know you and to love you and to follow you with all their heart. And God, we do pray for those around them that you would give them grace and help them to serve these in ways that, is, that are marked by, by your love. And so we, we lift them to you, Lord. And now we just pray for ourselves. We ask you, would you give us help? We need to hear your word. And we need to be shaped by this. God, in this passage where there's just so many places for us to go sideways and to say, yeah, but what about this? God, I pray that you would give us the grace and the humility to hear. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak with grace, with humility, but with clarity so that we hear you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, would you turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 14 once again? Romans 14, we looked at the first half of this chapter last Sunday, 
We're going to look at the second half of this chapter this morning. These two halves are very closely related. They are dealing with the same kind of general subject, but Paul is very clearly taking a new step in this teaching when we come to the second half of this chapter. Remember we said last week that the New Testament, time and time again, it just assumes that people with differing opinions, differing convictions about secondary matters are going to be together in the same local body of believers. Certainly Crossway is no exception to that truth. So what do we do? That's the question we asked last week, right? What do we do when we find ourselves in the same fellowship, in the same community of faith with believers, we're stressing that, believers who think differently about things than we do. Now remember, we're not talking here about foundational theological truth. We're not talking here about clear moral teaching, the nature of marriage, the nature of human sexuality, things the Bible has spoken very clearly about. We're talking here about matters of culture, custom, preference. There in Rome, it was the issues of eating meat or not eating meat, drinking wine or not drinking wine, observing certain days or not observing certain days. And Paul's answer to the question of what do we do, how do we do this, was very clear. Remember? Welcome one another. Welcome one another warmly and fully as brothers and sisters in Christ, just as God has welcomed them, just as God has welcomed you. There is real freedom in these matters. So don't despise one another. And don't pass judgment on one another. Welcome one another warmly and fully. I was so encouraged this past week by several who communicated to me that they were convicted by God's word and needed to take steps to amend their thoughts and their actions towards particular brothers and sisters. So encouraged by that. But now, Paul has another word. Yes, he wants, in Romans chapter 14, to promote this thing called Christian liberty, which must, it must inform our life together in the body. But there is also this thing called Christian charity, Christian love, which must not just inform but control our life together in the body. So let's look at what he says, Romans chapter 14, starting at verse 13. You follow along as I read. This is God's word. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. That's a summary of the first half of the chapter. But now this new thing. But, rather, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now this passage presents quite a dilemma, doesn't it? I mean, maybe you felt some of that tension even as I was reading. Paul's basic message is clear. We need to act in love towards one another to build one another up and to make sure that we're not doing anything to tear down or to do damage to one another. But all along the way, there is this sense of, yes, but what about that freedom you just talked about, Paul? Now you're saying, I shouldn't do certain things. So, am I free or aren't I free? I mean, just listen to the things that Paul says in this chapter. Some on one side, some on the other, such that we feel this tension. First of all, notice he reiterates the truth of Christian freedom. Verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Paul is explicitly referencing there the teaching of Jesus. Maybe he's even thinking about the time in Mark's gospel where Mark tells us that Jesus said, listen, there's nothing from the outside that can enter into the body that can make the person unclean. Which, by the way, Mark pauses and says, thus he, Jesus, declared all foods clean. And maybe you remember that time in the book of Acts where Peter's up on that rooftop, remember this, and and God gives him a dream and this sheet comes down with all of these animals, all these unclean animals that the Old Testament says you're not supposed to eat these. These are ceremonially off limits. And the voice comes down from heaven and says, take and eat. And Peter says, no. And the voice from heaven says, how dare you call unclean what I've now made clean? It's clean. So there's freedom, verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He says the same thing there in the middle of verse 20. Everything is indeed clean. Uncleanness is not in the thing itself, in the food. There's freedom. So Paul can say in verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. There's freedom. And Paul summarizes this so powerfully in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy. There is real freedom on these matters. So, verse 13, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. He says all that stuff on one side. However, there is the other side which produces this dilemma, this tension for us, because for some believers, 
there are points of deep personal conscience with regard to these secondary matters and that could be for a variety of reasons. So look at verse 14 again. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean because of some history or because of some previous association or because of some deeply ingrained teaching. I don't have freedom of conscience about participating in that thing. Such that, look at verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Now, I'm guessing you feel this instinctively. We've got to be so careful this morning. I mean, we've got to be careful every morning, right? But we've got to be so careful with this passage, throughout this message. This is more, in verse 15, this is more than just being bothered by someone else's view on something. This is talking about some injury, some injurious effect. This is one believer exercising his freedom in such a way to create pressure on another believer to do what their conscience, conscience is telling them not to do, and therefore sin. Because look, look at the very last line of this passage, verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. See, this is more than just an annoyance or an irritation about somebody else's position. This, this is the pain, the injury that is caused when a believer is somehow led to violate their conscience because of some pressure, intended or not, from another believer. It's really strong language that Paul uses in verse 15. So we have this situation now. There is real freedom, but for some there isn't freedom, and we together have to be aware of that and respond in a certain way. So what do we do? What do I do as I relate to a fellow believer who has a different conviction about these kinds of things? How, how do we do this? Because we want to do this right, right? We want to get this as a church, as a body. Well, there is a way, there is a path. It's fairly narrow, but it's wide enough for us to walk on that path together. There are ditches on both sides of the path. Deep ditches, ditches that are just filled with briars and brambles and there's muck on the bottom. On one side is the ditch, let's call it the ditch of disregard. I don't care about the effect of my actions on other people. I have freedom and my freedom is not to be constrained by somebody else. That's the ditch of disregard. It's a deep and ugly ditch, and you can fall off the path into that. And on the other side is the ditch, let's call it the ditch of constraint, where we are all kind of tyrannized by everybody else's conscience, and we're all policing one another, and freedom just disappears. 
That is a deep and ugly ditch, and you can fall into that one too. But there is a path. It's clear, and it's solid. It's a good path. It's the path of love. Look at how Paul speaks of it. He talks about purposing. I want to emphasize that. He talks about purposing, deciding to never put a stumbling block before a brother. Verse 13. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In fact, he says that two more times in this passage. Verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. He says it in verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. That is love. To purpose to not cause your brother or sister to stumble. And then he speaks even more strongly with this language of of destroying. Purpose to not do damage to a brother or sister. Verse 15, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Or look at verse 20, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. If you do, you are not walking in love. Did you see how clearly Paul says that in verse 15? You're no longer walking on the path of love. And given Given all that Paul has said about love, ever since he spoke those really powerful words right at the beginning of chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, based on all the stuff I said in chapters 1 through 11, I appeal to you now, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, and he proceeds to unpack this life together in the gospel, and my goodness, how prominently love features in that life. Remember this, chapter 12, verse 9? Let love be genuine. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Chapter 13, verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. As Christ followers, we are to walk in love. As gospelized people, we must walk in love And if you're causing a brother or sister to stumble by kind of flaunting your freedom in the face of their conscience, you are not walking in love. So Paul says, verse 19, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. In verse 18, whoever thus, in this way, serves Christ, is acceptable to God and approved by men. So there's the new teaching of the second half of Romans chapter 14. Yes, Christian freedom, but over that, Christian love. So in the time we have now, let me just try to serve you pastorally as best I can by summarizing this and bringing this into practical application with some principles for walking the path of love. I have five of them, five principles, based on Romans 14, 13 through 23, for walking the path of love with one another. First, principle number one, recognize that fellow believers are in different places on these issues and do not judge them for being in a different place than you. 
recognize that fellow believers are in different places on these kinds of issues and do not judge them for being in a different place than you. Now again, we're talking about places where there is freedom. If a believer is holding the position that it's okay for two men or two women to be in a committed sexual relationship, we need to graciously but clearly communicate God's truth. That is not a secondary matter. God has spoken very clearly on the subject. But in those places where there is freedom, questions of culture, questions of custom, questions of preference, recognize that fellow believers are going to be in different places and we are not to judge them for being in a different place than we are. Now, I know that we all want a list of what those things are. And we can dialogue about those things. But can I just tell you this morning, living the Christian life is not quite so easy. It's not a paint-by-number thing. Um, this requires wisdom, and it requires virtue, and it requires the particular virtue of humility towards others and honesty with ourselves. There are places of freedom, and we are called to honor where people are on those places. It's principle number one. Second, principle number two. With love, pay attention and get to know and be sensitive to one another's convictions. With love, pay attention and get to know and be sensitive to one another's convictions. It's part of living life together, isn't it? Getting to know one another a little bit. Welcoming one another such that we share our lives and our hearts and, and we pay attention not to quarrel. Do you remember verse 1? As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over questions like this, but so that we can love them well. So that instead of inadvertently or advertently wounding our brothers and sisters, we can seek to love and guard and honor and encourage and build them up. Now, obviously, there's limits. But in the course of interacting, if in the course of interacting, I find out, let's just say, that my brother has a point of conscience about watching sports on Sunday. I'm going to learn that, and I'm going to honor that, and I'm not going to invite him to watch the game on Sunday. Nor will I say, hey, a bunch of the rest of us are going to get together and watch the game, and I'm so sorry that your conscience prohibits you from coming to join us. Nor am I going to regularly say, so did you get a chance to see the game? I'm going to let my knowledge inform my love, and I'm going to let my love not just inform, but control my interaction with that brother. Now, I can still watch the game. There's freedom except for maybe if we're on a business trip together and we're sharing the same hotel room on a Sunday afternoon, I might, in fact, 
choose to voluntarily limit the exercise of my freedom. We're going to get to that in a second. But for now, the point is, I want to, I want to be so careful, I want to be so attentive to not let any pressure come against my brother's conscience that might grieve him by leading him to do something his conscience is not giving him freedom to do. Third, principle number three. Do not demand others abide by your convictions, on one hand, and do not tempt others to violate their conscience, on the other hand. Now, I recognize that this overlaps a little bit with number two, but there's an important thing to catch here. Do not demand that others abide by your convictions, on one hand, and do not tempt others to violate their conscience, on the other hand. See, we're looking at it from both sides here. The person who feels freedom regarding something should not tempt in any way the person who doesn't feel freedom. Do not cause your brother or sister to stumble. To do so is not loving. And the person who does not feel freedom should not demand that others abide by their convictions. That is not loving. If your brother is somehow pressured into doing something that his conscience tells him he ought not to do, somehow your action incites him to follow you, well, you've got to guard against that. But on the other hand, it is not right, not loving, to impose our views onto another person's conscience and by so doing constrain their conscience. Paul says in verse 22, Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, and we should not pass judgment on others for what they in freedom have approved either. Now, with these last two principles, we really get to the heart of what Paul is saying here in this passage. They work together. Four and five kind of work together. So fourth, number, principle number four, do not selfishly cling to your freedom. I, I think this is the thing I feel most strongly Paul is trying to say to us in this passage. Christian, do, do not cling selfishly to your freedom. There should be a willingness to voluntarily place limits on your freedom. This is where it gets hard, right? And Paul knows that this is where it gets hard, so he puts he, 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 can, he kind of pulls out more powerful truth. Look at the middle of verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. You hear what Paul is saying? Jesus loved that brother enough to die for him and rescue him, and we're not willing to love him enough to refrain from some exercise of freedom that would wound him. Christ sacrificed himself for that sister's well-being, and I'm not willing to sacrifice my little exercise of freedom for her well-being. Brothers and sisters, do not hold your freedom so tightly that you can't let it go at times. Don't be enslaved by your freedom. It is for freedom we have been set free, even from our right to exercise our freedom. We must not insist on being able to exercise our freedom. There, there is a good word for us there at the beginning of verse 22. Verse 22. 
I love this. I love the vision of this. Verse 22, the faith that you have. Now, that's not talking about your saving faith. That's talking about the faith that enables you to see yourself free in a particular situation. The faith that you have, look at what Paul says, keep between yourself and God. In other words, what Paul is saying right there is that there will be times, probably many times in your Christian life, when you will rejoice in your freedom, in your heart, between you and God, while at the very same time you are purposely choosing to not exercise that freedom. That feels to me like a free man. That feels to me like a free woman. It is for freedom you have been set free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's Galatians 5.13. It's a wonderful verse. At the beginning of Galatians chapter 5, it is for freedom you have been set free. And then Paul says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So principle number four, do not selfishly cling to your freedom. Instead, here's number five, principle number five, purpose, purpose to act in a way that is sensitive to and loving toward others. Purpose to act in a way that is sensitive to and loving toward others. Ask yourselves this morning, is there in my life, let's do a little, let's do a little heart work here, a little self-assessment, is there in my life a godly, humble attentiveness to the spiritual well-being of my brothers and sisters that I interact with in this local fellowship? Am I purposing to act in love toward them? I mean, so much of this is in how you carry yourself in conversation or in interaction, and so much of that is determined by what's important to you. Now, hear me very closely. This, this is the point in the sermon where we all need to guard our hearts from getting self-protective and not letting God speak. Paul had a position on these issues of eating meat and drinking wine. He says so. Verse 14, very clear. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but there was something a thousand times more important to Paul than getting all of those believers there in the church in Rome to see their freedom on these matters. He cares far more for the unity and the Christ-like atmosphere of that local congregation. He wants the attractive aroma of Jesus to be all over that church and all around those people as they went out into that city of Rome to do their business. He's passionate about their Christ-likeness and their unity as a body. Did you notice how often Paul stresses this word brother? Verse 13. Rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Verse 21. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason 
sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse, verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And every time he says brother, he means sister too. But then Paul ratchets the language up just a little bit, actually quite a bit, verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy. You almost expect him to say brother, but instead he says the one for whom Christ died. Listen, Paul is not engaging in any sentimentality right there. He means something by that. He is pointing to something hugely important. He is reminding these Roman believers of the basis upon which they even are Christians. What God did to make them a a gathering of, of redeemed, rescued, saved people. He gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfectly sinless life and then offered up that life, dying on the cross for us. And in that death, by that death, we are saved. Christ died for that brother. Christ died for that sister. Do you see what Paul is saying? If Jesus has already paid the the supreme price for that brother or sister, how can you not be willing to pay the little price of an occasional restriction of your freedom? Which is your priority? What are you more passionate about? And Paul doesn't stop there. It's not just the individual believer, brother or sister, it's the church. Look at verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. That is very purposefully contrasted with what Paul has just said in verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Every time Paul uses that language of upbuilding or edification, he's talking about the local body. And he's purposefully contrasting that with verse 20 when he says, do not for the sake of food destroy. That word means literally tear down. You see the contrast? Verse 19, let's build up, let's not tear down. And he's talking about the same thing in both verses. He's talking about the body of Christ, this this work of God. Paul is saying it's possible for you to damage the church to destroy its unity, to sap its strength if you prioritize your freedom over loving others. Listen, God has created something here. Every local church that, that honors God, that is about Christ, that stands on his word, every local church is something that God has created. There's a real spiritual community, a oneness of the body, in the Holy Spirit. I mean, here's the vision. I pointed to this last week. We're going to glory in this next week. Chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't destroy that. Guard that. Guard that by making sure that brothers and sisters are more important And that our unity is more important than your passion about some secondary thing. Don't overvalue your freedom with regard to you fill in the blank and in the process undervalue the importance of Jesus' death and God's work and God's kingdom, which Paul says consists of righteousness and peace and joy. 
I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. Sometimes these other things can, can become such a passion for us that they can displace God and his work. So we must be mindful of what we can get excited about, and we must make sure that those things never, never displace the really important things. So let's just ask, is our primary allegiance to God and his work? Is our primary allegiance to Christ and those for whom he died? Is our primary allegiance to God's kingdom and to the righteousness and peace and joy in which it consists? Or is my primary allegiance, my priority to some political position or some choice of schooling or some parenting style or some health care choice or you fill in the blank? Do those things all matter? Of course they do but not as much as the work of God through Christ by the Holy Spirit in our midst. Not as much as what Christ has done and is doing. And because we have those things, because Christ did die and he gave us life, because God is at work in our midst, because we have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, we can actually do without other things, without even missing them. So great is what we do have. So, Brothers and sisters, let us, verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Let us, verse 13, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Let us actively love one another. Let us actively seek the good of one another, wherever we are. May God preserve us here in this local fellowship from any behavior that is unconcerned or harmful to other believers and instead may we in all matters consciously, intentionally, purposefully act in a way that is completely guided by love for one another. May we love our brothers and sisters more than we love our freedom. And then May we have the joy of watching God use that to strengthen the church for his purpose, his mission, and his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for speaking so clearly to us. We need this. Lord, I pray that you would help us Thank you that you put us together in local gatherings so that we can help one another. Father, we don't want to hurt one another. And so I pray you'd guard us. Would you continue to cultivate in our church, as a church, and in each one of us, a kind of humility that doesn't rise up, that instead looks to Christ and imitates Christ. What a beautiful example. More than our Savior, which is enough. What a beautiful example you are to us. And so, Lord, I pray, help us. We ask for, even this coming week, that we might walk the path of love. In Jesus' name, amen.